Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to the Balanced Blonde Podcast, Soul on Fire. So today happens to be my very last interview before the solo episode coming out to tell you all about the hiatus that I'm taking to focus on my health this winter. And the hiatus almost happened even sooner, except for the fact that Jedediah Jenkins was available and able and down to come on the Balanced Bond podcast. So we did this recording with him This was a true manifestation on my part, I will say, because I've been following Jed for so many years on Instagram. I absolutely love what he shares. He just released a New York Times bestselling book, his first memoir, To Shake the Sleeping Self, which is all about his bike trip from Oregon to Patagonia and so much deeper than that. It's about coming to terms with his sexuality and religion and family. Um, Basically a look inside of his brain. And I fell in love with the book. I read it in probably a week and it's a long book. So I was just reading and reading and reading every night. No, I probably read it in less than a week. And anyway, um, it was my dream to have Jed on the podcast. And luckily... We have quite a few mutual friends and the beautiful Courtney Swan, who's been on this show, um, offered to introduce us and she did right away. Jed was so incredibly kind and funny and hilarious and fun to talk to. And we started texting and emailing and I could just tell immediately from the way that he presents himself even just over text and email, that he is truly an authentic, genuine, kind human of the utmost degree. Um, He was just here. So I'm recording the intro right after he left. And I can truly say he walked into my home and lifted the vibe, brought his true authentic self and just radiated through our entire home and put me into the best mood and made me feel so seen and listened to and special. And I know that you guys will feel the same because the whole conversation with him was recorded um, for you. So we talk about everything from his book, 
to his writing process to where he is with Christianity and his sexuality now to what a day in the life looks like. Um, Gosh, what else did we talk about? I feel like we talked about everything I wanted to know from him, including his contact with Cheryl Strayed, which seems to be kind of a theme on the podcast lately. We had Sahara on the podcast a couple weeks ago talking about getting into contact and becoming friends with her idol, Deepak Chopra. Um, We have my story with Trevor Hall. We have Jed and Cheryl now. And I'm just so excited for you guys to hear everything he has to say. If you don't follow him, Jedediah Jenkins on Instagram, he will rock your world um, with his words and his beauty and the beauty of the photos that he posts. And you will love his book. So before we dive into the episode, let's take a second to thank our sponsor, Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is the mushroom coffee company that has stolen my heart and completely gotten me off of coffee in recent weeks um, and months. I mean, I've been using Four Sigmatic now for a couple of years, but I always go back and forth with my coffee addiction and obsession. And right now, because I am following a medical medium diet, I've gone off of coffee again. And I'm drinking chaga every morning, which medical medium says is so, so, so good for adrenals and thyroid and a host of other things, including a lot of symptoms from Lyme and Epstein-Barr. So you can shop Four Sigmatic at foursigmatic.com slash blonde. You get a nice 15% off discount and you can shop all my favorites from mushroom coffee itself to mushroom matcha, mushroom hot cacao, which is like delicious hot chocolate, cordyceps mushroom elixir mix, superfoods blends. Um, If you don't like caffeine, they have plenty of caffeine-free options. Um, Like I said, my favorite is chaga, but I also love me some reishi and some lion's mane and whatever I'm in the mood for. So let me tell you what I make every morning. I make a big steaming cup of chaga where I add two packets of chaga into a mug of steaming hot coconut milk and a splash of hot water cinnamon and one date. I blend it all up and it's this delicious cross between a smoothie and a coffee elixir type of drink. It makes me feel really alert and awake and calm all at the same time. So it doesn't give you the jitters of coffee or caffeine, which I love and truthfully absolutely need because I'm a jittery person to begin with. So check out Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com slash blonde. Um, Do some holiday shopping on there. They have bundles and all sorts of fun, cute gifts for friends and family. And you can see what all my favorites are on my shop page. So thank you Four Sigmatic for always supporting the show. Now, let's get into this episode with the wonderful Jedediah Jenkins. Um, What if we say something great? I know. So you're here. We're talking about (laughs) your book and I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to meet you. It's such an honor. I am just so flattered that you wanted to 
hang out with me for an hour. I'm so flattered that you came. <laughs> so it's actually perfect because I'm about to take a little hiatus from podcasting for the first time in two years. Wow. Um, to focus on my health because I've been really sick with yeah. Lyme disease and just haven't had the energy to... Wow, I need to talk to you about that. I think I had... I, I think I got Lyme disease this summer. Are you serious? I was in the hospital 10 times. I was on my ass for two months. Oh my god! I lost 20 pounds. They tested my blood for everything and couldn't solve it. And we can talk about this offline or whatever, but it was so interesting. Or here. But uh, honestly, no doctor could figure it out. They tested my blood once for Lyme disease, but then everyone on the East Coast where it's super common was like, no, you got to... Everything you're describing sounds like Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is like famously a shapeshifter. It'll imitate things and and be very confusing. Exactly. It took me a decade to get correctly diagnosed. A decade. A decade. So I finally found this incredible Lyme doctor who I think you should see if you have any thought that you might have Lyme. I can give you all her information. I would really appreciate what that. Are, what are your symptoms? Do you feel better? I do feel better. I still, um, basically, I went on this amazing two-week adventure across the Alps, a road trip around the Alps. And I was just full-on sound of music traipsing through every field, right? <clears throat> Swimming in grass, okay? Uh-huh. And then the moment I landed back in Los Angeles... I got 105 fever and was so weak, a weakness that I've never known to like a picking up a potato chip felt like labor. Mm-hmm. And I was sweating the bed, completely soaking it with my sweat. Um, and just really, it was really fatigue, loss of appetite, insane. I would get 105 fevers three times a day. And then right when the fever would break, I would pour sweat. And then all night I would sweat. I mean, I slept on six towels every night and just would trade them out. And, and I went to the hospital so many times, but it was interesting. Never had headaches. Um, never had joint pain. Well, that's not true. I had hip joint pain, which was very weird. It felt like what I would imagine being 90 years old feels like. And that was really my story for about two months, lost 20 pounds. And then right, it's interesting. And it kind of ties into, I'm sure you have lots of wisdom about this, the mind's power over the body, the subconscious mind, the body, you know, all these things. So right before my book came out, I was better like something about my body and knew it needed to lock it up because I was Mm -hmm. about to go do a lot of book signings and promo and you're not allowed to be sick right now. And it just said, okay. Oh, and I forgot to add, I had horrible, some sort of gastritis, Mm -hmm. which, which the doctors think was a stress ulcer caused by the, so anyway, long story short, my final symptom, I, now I feel a hundred percent except about two nights a week my legs in the middle of the night will experience a bone crushing pain. It feels like my, someone has my shin in a vice and they're just cranking it till it breaks. And if I get up to go to the bathroom or to get like pain medicine, it feels like my bones are made of glass and it only happens at night and it travels. Sometimes it's in my right leg. Sometimes it's in my left leg. It's very odd. I have that. 
I you have swear, it? everything you're saying sounds like Lyme. And you're right, Lyme presents itself in so many different mysterious and confusing ways, which is why it's so hard to diagnose yeah. and it's so controversial and misdiagnosed all the time. You're um, telling me you have had it for 10 years? I think I've had it for 10 years. So I finally found this Lyme doctor. I was diagnosed in June after being bedridden for close to a year, um, but functioning for the last decade, but like always a little bit sick and always a little bit sensitive. And over the last five years, haven't been able to drink alcohol and like just certain things where my body would just reject what other people can do with ease. Um, Extreme fatigue. I had head to toe hives for from January until June. um, And I still have like partial hives. So it's been wild. It's been wild, but. Aren't you, isn't there something that brings you joy just knowing that you can call it something? Like that was really hard for me. All these doctors are like, we don't know what it is. And I mean, I was getting CAT scans. They thought I might have cancer. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Because when you have what's called in the medical world, fever of unknown origin, they have this whole ru- like rundown of things they got to test you for because your body is clearly freaking out about something. Mm. And it can be, they test me for testicular cancer. That I, you know, they scan my bones, all these things. Everything just kept coming back negative, which in an interesting way, I've never been one to go to the hospital. I've been healthy my whole life. So I've never actually checked under the hood to make sure I'm all good. Right. And so it's actually kind of nice to know that all these other things are fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's nice to get fully checked out. I'm the same way. Other than being like lightly sensitive and sick for a long time, I've also been a really healthy person to get tested and finally have this diagnosis was a celebration in many ways. Um, Terrifying also. So I'm coming close to this hiatus that I'm taking where I'm going to not work, not use social media, delete Instagram from my phone. Okay, girl. For, I know. This Liberty. Is like, yeah. Something I'm really, really excited about. So you're my final interview for the last, wow. yeah, for the next what couple of months. Um, and I'm honored because I really, really, ever since before reading your book, have just admired what you do and what you talk about. And how did you find me? Um, I think I probably found you originally through one of your friends as you have the coolest group of friends <laughs> ever. Um, oh my gosh. me and my friends talk about this. We just like think that you and your friends are so cool. And, um, oh Lauren my God, so and Molly have been on mm. this podcast and I've followed oh, so them for a long time. Ruthie, I spoke with on a panel last year. So your friendship, like I just kind of follow all you guys. And I think what you talk about and what you do is, is really amazing. That's so encouraging. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're on my friend group now too. I know me too. (laughs) So your book, I have like a trillion and one questions for you. Um, I feel so invested in your journey and got to know you on such an intimate level. It is crazy. Mm -hmm. A friend that I just made a brand new friend. Um, she picked up my book and she was reading it and just, and I'm like, I don't know very much about you and you know everything about me. That's not fair. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I know, but it's kind of fun. I it's mean, obviously so I put it out there. It's what I right. want to do, but it is so interesting. And I'm sure like you being 
on social media and being a person who speaks openly about your life, like you know what it's like to talk about yourself in a way that connects with others. Um, but it's, it is a strange world to be in where you say here, let me tell you everything about me, especially the hardest parts and the most embarrassing parts and the things I'm still working on. And let me just let the public do with it, whatever they want. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. So I know I'm used to that. How people will say, I feel like I know you and we've Mm -hmm. never met, but I truly feel like we're friends, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, So how has that been for you from being a writer, but having just published your first book, Mm -hmm. which is a New York Times bestseller? How amazing. It's weird. You should be so proud of yourself. That's so cool. Well, it's been, I mean, to be very clear, it's been the most amazing month and a half of my life for sure. Uh, It's, it's humbling because I can't pretend to know what I'm doing. I'm just being me and doing my best. And I worked on this memoir. My editors were incredible. My publisher was incredible. I mean, the editing process is so, it's like therapy because I'm writing my life down and then my editors are saying, this doesn't make sense. If you're going to explain this to people, you, for example, let's say I'm writing a scene where my mom is angry at me and that hurts my feelings. Well, if I don't set up an example before that of where I care a lot about what my mom thinks and what my, the way my mom thinks so that when we do have an argument later down the road, the reader understands my emotional state at that moment. They're teaching me how to really frame storytelling. And what's great about that is that's also reframing the way I see my whole life, you know, cause I'm seeing it as a story and I'm seeing, okay, so that blowout I had with my mom or my dad or someone there's a backstory to that that led to that moment. And we each have a perspective. And unless you recognize that, everything feels like chaos. So it was really therapy. And then to kind of exercise your demons for other people to exercise their own. To me, that's a real sense of purpose. And I'm sure you feel this with your work. It's when you share what you're learning, what you have learned, the mistakes you've made, um, And you really feel like I'm here to help people. And what I found interestingly, just through the act of like writing in public and having people respond is that the more vulnerable I am, the more raw, the more honest, the more confused, the the more people respond to it. And what that leads me to believe is that everyone is just looking for clues on how to live. And if, and so many people live a performative artificial life that doesn't actually help anyone get better. It just helps the person appear to have it all together. Whereas if you actually show the, the wounds and the scrapes and the, you know, the wrong turns and U turns, uh, people can recognize that in their own life and then formulate meaning from it and feel less alone, which is such a huge, a huge gift. It is. Yeah. That's so true because all the different parts of your book in particular and a lot of what you share on social media is just this 
extreme vulnerability, sharing parts of yourself that a lot of people don't talk about. And I know it helps people so much because I mean, a hundred times in your book, I thought, I'm not the only person who feels this mm. way. This is so oh, that amazing. Means so much to me. Yeah. Like you embarked on this bike trip, just for the people who don't know, from Oregon to Patagonia. And you hadn't really practiced riding a bike. And you No, I hadn't ridden a bike since college, which was whatever that is, nine years before I left. And then in college, I hadn't ridden a, ridden a bicycle since I was like a little boy. You know, right. so, no. I mean, I knew how to ride one, but barely. I know. It's so cool because I think people think in order to do something so adventurous, you have to be an athlete, an adventurer, right. and you just got out there and did it. Yeah. that I mean, I certainly thought I had to be an athlete, um, but I I don't know. I just kind of dared myself to do it. And, and I, the thing that was special about it is that I realized that I'm doing this for myself and therefore I get to set the rules. If I only want to go five miles a day and I want to drink wine every minute, I'm going to do that. If I want to go a hundred miles a day and push myself, I'm going to do it. This is my trip for me. And that was such a liberation because so often the things that we do, we think we're doing them for ourselves, but we're actually doing it to prove something to the middle school bully who was mean to us or to prove something to our dad or whatever, when you can actually just do something for you and you set the rules, it's, you can do anything you set your mind to, you know? Yeah. I love that. Okay. Just a brief interruption from this conversation with Jedediah, which is rocking my world. So I hope it's rocking yours too, to thank our second sponsor for today's episode, Hum Nutrition. So Hum Nutrition, my favorite supplement company. And I get asked these questions all the time on Instagram and in the High Vibe Chronic Lyme and Chronic Illness Facebook group. What supplements do I take for Lyme and why? So I take a lot of Hum Nutrition supplements on top of the other supplements recommended, prescribed by my doctor. So these are fun. I can shop them myself online. They don't feel like a chore. They feel like a fun, healthy addition to my routine. They are premium quality, non-GMO, gluten-free, clinically proven, recommended by leading nutritionists, and sustainably sourced. They're also pure and potent, and they have free shipping over $50, which is awesome. And also, if you use the code SOUL, you get 20% off at checkout. So that's SOUL, S-O-U-L. And what I really love is seeing which ones you guys pick out. And when you tag me on your Instagram and Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, um, it's fun to see that these recommendations are landing with you guys and enhancing your life the way that they've enhanced mine. So a couple of Hum Nutrition favorites that I love are the Uber Energy, which supports consistent energy through adrenal strength. And I have had some adrenal issues and clearly I've had a ton of chronic fatigue with Lyme. I mean, not clearly, <laughs> not clearly if you're not with me all the time, but if you are, then you know, I spend a great deal of time in bed, so that's not fun. And I like taking something that boosts my energy. It has all sorts of good things in it from 
Eleuthero to licorice root to ashwagandha, all these things that we hear that we should be taking, but they're not so easy if they're not in one pill. So Hum Nutrition makes it super easy. I also love their daily cleanse, which I always talk about. So you guys know that it helps clear the skin and body from toxins. I love their collagen pop, which you just pour into water. That's good for skin, hair, nails, joints, etc. So head to humnutrition.com, use the code SOUL and shop around. You can talk to nutritionists on their site and ask them any questions about which supplements would be best for you and have fun. And like I said, let me know what you think. I only talk about brands that I love and use every day. So I hope these enhance your life. And let's head back into this episode with Jedediah. I think not setting rules is so important because we just were rule setters. Like I I have all these rules for myself, even for this break that I'm about to take, like no Instagram, no this, no that. But really I want to have no rules so I can just go with the flow Mm -hmm. and do what the universe wants me to do. Well, it's, it's having no rules or if you're going to have rules, really do the the heavy lifting of understanding what are the root causes of why I need this rule. You know, is it, you know, am I giving up Instagram for one month, two months because I am addicted to my phone and I need a break? Or is it because I think it's the cool thing to do to do a digital detox and I want to be so grounded and I want everyone to, you know, like if you can find the root cause, if it's really for you, then setting a rule might be good. Cause if you know a weakness, I don't know. I'm just a big believer in both. And it's like, maybe you should set a rule or maybe you should go with the flow. Just understand the root of Mm -hmm. it, you know, which I'm sure you do. That is, yeah, that's a really, really, really good tip. I love that because yeah, that goes back to just having these boxes for ourselves. But if you have the both and you can mm-hmm. go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I know. I love that too. So something that I loved about your book that I found really interesting was changing the names of a lot of the people in mm-hmm. your book, your friends, um, probably most people in the book. Right. How did you decide which names to change and which names to choose? I know. Well, what's funny about that is some of the names I changed and some I didn't. And some of the ones, <laughs> like some people's names I changed and I don't remember why. They didn't. I definitely wanted to change the name of like Weston, for example. Um, his real name is Philip and he's happy to be Philip um, <laughs> and happy to be known. I dedicated the book to him. Yeah. But... <clears throat> I just wanted to give like one layer of anonymity to him just because he's pretty buck wild compared to me and, you know, doing drugs and having sex and having a good time and really teaching me a lot. But I just wanted to give him the slightest layer of anonymity so that someone would have to do a little work to figure out even just the smallest amount. I I equate it to Sia. You know how Sia wears those wigs? I mean, you can Google what does Sia look like and it's the first photo. So it's easy to find out. But because she does that, there's just one step removed where when she's probably walking or, I mean, I've seen her here in LA and no one recognizes her at a restaurant. She's just sitting there. I mean, she's one of the biggest pop stars in the world. She's just giggling, laughing, talking to her friends at a restaurant, not a single person. 
walks up to her. Yeah. And she's huge. I mean, she's as big as Katy Perry or something. Right. And so I, not that my book will ever be big enough to where anyone cares who Weston is, but um, I think it, I think it is, I don't though. know, but it's, you know, I just wanted to give him that little yeah. iconic, I don't know what. That's cool. Yeah. And the other ones. So what I, in order to finish my trip and work on this book, I did a Kickstarter campaign and one of the prizes, if you gave a certain amount of money was you get to name a character in the book. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so and cool. So about six people got to do that. And, and generally what the names I changed for them were like my close friends, because those are really respectable, lovely people. And who right. wouldn't want to be that character in a book? And, and, you know, some of the people who got to name a character, they wanted it to be their son's name or their daughter's name. And so I made sure it was really special people that they were named after. That's so cool. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It made yeah. it really personal. You it know? did. I spent a lot of time trying to think, I wonder who this is. Just being familiar with like your yeah, friends as friend I follow group. you and saw like a lot of the photos from the trip and who visited you. Yeah. And I went down the little rabbit hole of finding out who Weston was. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. It is fun to the book. There's like a second layer to reading the book. So you pick up the book at a bookstore. It's about a guy riding his bicycle from Oregon to Patagonia. How interesting. Then you find out, oh, wait, I actually live Instagram the whole thing and they're all still there. You can like go see things if you do a little digging. Then you can like, see the real Weston on Instagram and then go to his Instagram and watch him living his life in the woods barefoot. Now, you know, he does, he makes like amazing leather products and skins animals and is just like a mountain man. And it's just, it's cool. I did all of that. (laughs) It it, it did make it a lot more fun for, I don't know, a lot of different reasons. Like I was being a detective and (laughs) getting to see everything behind the scenes. Totally. So something else that is a huge part of your book is the theme of religion and you journeying through Christianity and ultimately coming to this place at the end where, I mean, you can describe it like you're so, you've you've journeyed so much from where you were in the beginning Mm. as this total Christian, I would say, to really open at the end to kind of, anything. So tell us about that. And what's your relationship now with Christianity? Yeah. You know, it's, I would venture to say if, if you travel the world and have real impactful relationships and conversations with people who believe different things than you, and you step into their life and you sleep in their home, it is really hard to maintain a rigid religious worldview as, as in my way or the highway, either you believe what I believe or you're going to burn in hell. You go, you travel the world and meet lots of people and you will have trouble believing in a God like that. Um, on top of that, I mean, I was raised in Nashville by amazing parents who you get to know in the book, but in a faith tradition that especially when you kind of start I realized something was different about my sexuality in third grade. I realized what it was called in seventh grade. And I felt, you know, I internalized a lot of shame around being gay and my body and fearing my own impulses and desires that they would like ruin my life. Um, And I mean, I'm 35. I'm still unpacking that. And the book has a lot to do with that. 
But, you know, my evangelical Southern Christian culture taught me that part of who I was was a disease caused by the dark side that was out to destroy my life. Whereas the calling of my heart is, no, this is about who I want to love and spend my life with. And it feels like one of the most positive things about me, but it's being labeled as one of the worst and most dangerous. So that is a very intense thing to tell a developing brain. And so what it did is it just led me on this quest. And in my youth, my response to feeling like I was innately bad was to become the best boy ever student body president, nicest kid in school, president of everything, and double down on my faith and go to, I went to like the gay cure, like right. camp thing. I, I ultimately to the point where I was completely celibate. I, I had my first kiss with a man at, at, or really at all at age 28 you know? And so that's how dedicated I was to being good. And it was in my mid twenties, right around when I decided to take this trip, you know, I was 27, 28. And I was like, okay, when I turn 30, I'm going to go figure my shit out because clearly I have things to figure out. And I just was having this crisis of, I have, I dove so deep into this, into this real, this faith system that so much of it is so right. And it feels so right. The community, the belief that God is bigger than you, that there's a plan for your life, that God is love. These things felt so true, but then these other parts of it that got pulled in felt untrue. And I kept testing the universe to see what was true and what was untrue. And rejecting my sexuality just kept coming back, bouncing back to me as the way that evangelical American Christianity has this is wrong and it feels wrong. And I felt, I never felt the condemnation of God. I feared the condemnation of my friends and my community. That was a big revelation for me. And so, you know, ultimately I finally just said, okay, well, if God is real, he made me this way. He says, walk in faith. I'm just going to believe that I, I'm just going to try it the other way instead of celibacy, instead of rejection of my body, which is really eating me alive inside. I'm going to try and kiss a boy and be a good boyfriend and see what happens. And so I did. And the moment I kissed a boy, I knew it was right. You know, and it, it was it, a lot. What sucks is a lot of people who push down their sexual identity it becomes so coiled up inside them that it springs out and explodes. And all of a sudden they're having sex with strangers and they're just getting blasted on whatever party drug, you know, and they're going to raves and clubs and they're just, they don't actually allow themselves to step into a healthy sexuality and a healthy intimacy. They've been so oppressed. They explode in the opposite direction as an F you to the whole culture that pushed them down. And I was lucky enough to just, I, I just don't have a really explosive personality. I just kind of like make small little steps here or there. And it's just been a slow unfolding, like sand in an hourglass. And as it's kind of compiled, I've found that the sand has fallen from a way of seeing myself with shame and fallen into 
a cohesion and a health that feels constantly affirmed by the universe, by the truth. Just every turn, I'm like, yes, this was always true. And the discomfort in my heart knew it from day one. And yet I was so committed to not being rejected by my community, which makes sense when you're a teenager in your 20s, all you care about is belonging. And once I allowed myself to belong to myself in truth and and in the fullness of who I am, my friendships changed, my life changed. It just expanded in this big exhale and inhale that has been has been the true longest and best journey of my life. The bike trip was almost like a sim a metaphor for what was really going on in my faith journey. Yeah. Wow. That was long-winded, sorry. No, that was amazing. <laughs> I'm hanging on every word. So you had your first kiss at 28. Yeah. And now after the bike trip, do you date like relationships? Do you feel like you've come a long way? Yeah, I really have. I have I've had two boyfriends, both amazing human beings. But I, I in some way I do feel I do feel like a child, you know, like most people have their first boyfriend or girlfriend at, I don't know, 17, 18. And then, so really I'm about 25 years old in the dating world, even Mm -hmm. though I'm 35, I'm a decade late. Right. And so I'm still kind of learning things about codependency, about, I don't even know. I have a lot to learn, but, or like when a relationship doesn't work out, it doesn't mean it's not a true indictment of you. It's an indict. It, it, it has more to do with the other person than it does you or whatever, you know, and timing is everything. All these cliches that I've heard and counseled my friends with. I was like the ultimate relationship counselor in my 20s, uh-huh. knowing nothing. I just had <laughs> absorbed so much. And, you know, a gay guy in a friend group gets all the gossip, you know, totally. so I hear everyone's relationship drama. And I internalized it in a way where I saw relevant patterns and ways to get out of it. But then now that I'm an actual person dating, living in the world, I have to give myself the same counsel I gave others, which is funny. Yeah. It's not always as easy. No, no. But I'm loving it. I love going on dates. Oh my gosh. I mean, as you can see, I'm extroverted. I like meeting people. And I don't know. I like kissing boys. I like it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge part of life that mm-hmm. you missed out on for a long time. So getting to enjoy it now must be just such an addition to your life. It, You know, it's interesting because having your first kiss at 28 sounds sad, but there, there's like, there's a song. I think it's like a Scottish sailor song, but it's the longer the waiting, the sweeter the kiss. And it's about like sailors going off and leaving their beautiful wives behind and coming back at the end of the winter or whatever. And um, I really felt that in my life in the sense where I wasn't a 14-year-old fumbling in a closet kissing somebody and not knowing what's going on because I didn't have a fully developed brain. I was a 28-year-old adult who had experienced so much wonderful life, loved his life, and is missing this sweet piece of intimacy And this sweet boy took me to a beach with a bottle of wine and we sat there and he kissed me. And it was so magical. You know, the the twinkling lights of San Diego in the distance, boats in the dock, little little beach. 
And I was like fully myself, fully a conscious adult witnessing this like adolescent moment. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was really full of magic. Yeah. I love that. I'm a huge believer in everyone's journey is different for a reason and timing is everything. Mm -hmm. So that timing for you in your life, although by some standards could be considered late or whatever was perfect for you. It was meant to be that way for you also so that you could share your story with so many people and help so many people. Um, Yeah. I'm just, I think the timelines we set on our own lives are such, are such self-sabotage. Now I understand with women and biology, there's certain things where you're like, I better pop out a baby or it's going to get dangerous. You know, like mm -hmm. that timeline makes a little sense, even though I still think women should be freer and I know it's expensive, but I have like a bunch of girlfriends who froze their eggs. Right. Cause they're like, I'm trying to live my life and figure it I out. And so like, smart. and I'm like, wow, I think that's hopefully as it becomes more ubiquitous, the price will go down and it'll become more normal. Cause I mean, my mom had me at 35, which is not old, but right. it was in 1982. Exactly. You know, and, and she said, I'm so glad that I did because when I started having you kids, I had lived I had lived enough to where I had no regrets. I had, I never felt like you kids took something from me like my youth. I was ready. Yeah. And I find that to be really cool because my mom was so down for having kids. Yeah. And your mom lived a lot of life. Oh my gosh. She walked across across America. America. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone listening who doesn't know, both of your parents walked across America together and wrote Lots of books three about bo- it. Yeah, and... three or four books about it. Yeah, World, cool. National Geographic, we're on the cover. It's really cool story. Yeah, so you really followed in their footsteps in a yeah. way, but also Truly. did your own thing like in yeah. a much, much different way. Um, speaking of your mom, who's at Coral Tree down the street, which <laughs> yeah. I love, I fell in love with her in the book. She's a huge character in the book. We get to see so much of her. And the final chapter... Um, where you're hiking together and coming down the mountain in the pitch black, pouring rain. I swear I was, I had anxiety. Like I was there, like your mom is older coming down. She's 67, 12 hour hike, something like that. Oh yeah. Straight up a mountain Um, and straight down. Yeah. I mean that you should just know that a chapter is like something that will stick in my mind forever. It's so powerful. And I was so sad that it was over because that's the end. And like the final sentence, I believe, is about her, right? Yeah. Um, So tell us, for those of us who have read the book, what has happened? What has transgressed with your mom since then? Have you had further deep conversations about sexuality and Mm -hmm. Christianity? This is something I I want like the follow-up. Yeah, of course. So for those of you that haven't read the book, um, the, a lot of the book is about off, obviously unpacking my relationship with my mother, who is such a deep, deep believer in Jesus and in Christianity. And she truly believes, which I don't blame her because in the, in the eighties, anyway, she truly believes that homosexuality is a sin and is caused by deception from the devil and 
I don't know if she would say it it means like you're not allowed into heaven, but she definitely believes that it will ruin your life. And I mean, as she's raising us kids in the 80s, tens, 20, tens of thousands of gay men are dying of AIDS on the news like every month or whatever it was, every year. And the horror, and then she's at church and they're saying, see, this is the wages of sin is death. The Bible says this. It clearly says men sleeping with men is a sin. And she's watching her little son. And, you know, like, can you imagine? It's horrifying. And then I'm standing here as an adult asking her to reprogram 70 years of belief, not to mention when she was a single mom, you know, my, my dad left and she's raising three kids alone and her saving grace was the church, was a belief that God was her helper, was a belief that Jesus saved her and saved us kids, all these things. So she just has really strong beliefs as I understand her to have. And it's just been a real journey where I've kind of leaned into accepting and celebrating this part of my identity, which she believes is not, is, is going to hurt me. So her trepidation around it is her love for me. She thinks it's bad and it's not because she's a bigot. It's not because of this or that. She's trying to protect me from hurting myself and she thinks I'm making a mistake. So it's just been a big journey. And even like the amount of honesty I have in this book was really hard for her when she first read it. And I understand. I'm like, mom, trust me, you come across as wonderful. You really do. And I'm so glad you said that Mm because she, I wanted it to be honest. It's like, you're like the greatest person I know and I'm obsessed with you. And we just have differing beliefs about some important things. And that's like, guess what? Most people's families, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really normal. And you know, since it, she was really worried, she thought I was making fun of her in the book. She thought it was a caricature. I mean, as you can imagine, anyone, any child writing about their parent, you're going to be, have your feelings hurt totally. if they're even remotely honest. If it's not propaganda and it's honest, it's probably going to sting in some places. Even my mother knowing whether she meant to or not, she is a, a conduit of pain in my life because right. of the way I was raised it caused me to have pain. And that breaks her heart. But the thing is, she is just such a warrior of love and there is nothing I could do. I'm talking about, I could be a full-blown murderer and she would still <laughs> visit me in the hospital every day. Right, right. Or in the, in the she prison. She like that you know? kind of mom. And because love is her true first language. Yeah. And, and to this day, like, I mean, I've had some pretty strong come to Jesus emails with her where I'm like, you can't talk about this anymore. I don't, you know, like one day I'm going to marry a man and I don't know what to tell you, but you know, like that's going to happen. Right. And she receives it and she respects me and I respect her and we just have boundaries. And I, I don't need her to agree with me on all these things for me to love her because a, that checklist would be long and she'll never match all of them. So as long as she respects me and we lead with love, our f- relationship is so special. And I'm so excited every time I see her and she's excited to see me. And I don't know, it's complex. But I just, I'm very lucky because some, some parents, they would, they would rather be right than loving. Mm-hmm. And they'll just disassociate with a child that, you know, yes. or, or, or a child will be so wounded. They'll be like, I, I haven't spoken to my father in 20 years. I mean, right. that's a normal 
that happens a lot. I know. And my mom and I love each other too much for that. <laughs> yeah. That's so special. It's such a special relationship that you guys have where you can disagree on something that's such a huge part of your life, mm-hmm. but accept that about each other. All right. Just a brief interruption to talk about our additional sponsor for today's episode, Silver Fern. So you guys know that I love Silver Fern for probiotics, digestive enzymes, plant-based protein powder, and multivitamins. So they're my favorites for a whole lot of reasons. So we'll get into why they're my favorites. But first, let me tell you two things. One is that you can use the code BLONDE at checkout at silverfernbrand.com to get a full 20% off of anything you order. People ask me where they should start. I say definitely get the probiotic. If you have stomach issues and digestion issues, definitely also get the digestive enzyme. And if you're looking for a good plant-based protein powder, they've got you. They have chocolate and vanilla. Um, Each serving has 20 grams of protein, added probiotics, and digestive enzymes. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, all those good things, and it tastes good. You can add it to any smoothie or acai bowl or whatever you really prefer, nut milk or whatever sounds good to you. The second thing about them that I want you to know beyond the discount code is that you can listen to their CEO, co-founder and chief nutritionist, Charity Lighten on the Balanced Bond podcast episode 106 to learn all about gut health, probiotics and why Silver Fern is the best probiotic on the market unbiased, of course, but it's really just the truth. Um, Their 100% survivability rate means that when you take the probiotic, it actually survives in your stomach and doesn't just die once it gets there, which which is what happens with a ton of probiotics on the market, which is why, unfortunately, a lot of times we're spending money on something that doesn't actually work. And also, They're pharmaceutical grade, they're DNA verified, clinically tested and proven and all of these amazing things. They're recommended, of course, by Charity, who's an amazing nutritionist with an incredible story of taking care of her husband with stage four colon cancer, being a mother to four and being at the head of Silver Fern. So Silver Fern's also amazing because like I said, they're non-GMO, totally free of anything artificial. They're completely natural, superior quality and amazing. They will enhance your life the way that they've enhanced mine, especially if you have stomach issues or chronic illness of any kind. So head to silverfernbrand.com, use the code BLONDE, get 20% off, take yourself on a shopping spree, tag me in your Instagram stories. I love to see what you're trying and what recommendations land with you. Now, let's head back into this episode. Thank you, Silver Fern. I mean, yeah, like you said, every family has that. Like, we all have these huge elephant in the room type of disagreements. And it's just a matter of, do you accept it and work past it and love this person or... Right. Let it it deteriorate your relationship. I mean, yeah, I can, I would venture to say the vast majority of people struggle with something like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm just very, 
I think it's a combination of I'm very lucky that I have a mom who leads with love forever. And who we both also lead with humor. Like we can laugh, you know, which is really important. And also I feel I am, as you noted, I have such a wonderful and rich community of friends that make me feel such belonging and such safety and such unconditional safety where no matter what, they'll be by my side forever. And so that creates this inner foundation of me where I don't fear standing on my own two feet for myself. You know, a lot of people, they're like, well, if I really had this hard conversation with so-and-so, they might leave me. And so I'd rather just live a lie or hide forever and deal with it. And I don't have to do that because I, I've like really cultivated a strong foundation of humans in my life. Um, yeah. So I, I think if people could really find strong belonging in their relationships, it would actually liberate them from a lot of subconscious fear that's pulling the strings of their life. You know, they just fear abandonment. They fear rejection. And all these things in their life that they're doing are actually being decided by that fear, not by their mind, not by their true willpower. And if you can root out that fear, you start to feel invincible and you can start pursuing your passions. You can take risks. Yeah. So that's what I'm about. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And I totally agree. Um, taking risks is a huge part of your life. I mean, you left what you were doing to go mm. on this bike trip and that's a huge risk in itself. Mm. So do you feel like that was the catalyst to living that way or were you always like that? No, I wasn't always like that. I mean, I guess when you grow up in cute little Nashville, Tennessee and you sight unseen, just moved to LA for college, that felt like a little risky. And my parents yeah. are like, we walked across America. We're, you know, so I was raised to be adventurous. I will say that. And I was raised very much with unconditional love. Like my parents in that way, they were like, you want to be a mechanic? You want to be a Disney animator? You want to be a marine biologist? Like you go for it. And that's really freeing. But, you know, there's a lot of mitigating factors to taking risks, you know, whether it's a really expensive mortgage, whether it's kids, whether it whether it's a sick family member that you got to take care of. You know, there's a lot of reasons people can't take big risks. And I don't know the answer to all that, but I do believe that there's a lot of people who the only thing stopping them from taking a risk is fear of rejection, fear of failure. And if those are your barriers, I think we can get over them, you mm -hmm. know, and they can be encouraged to take those risks through like hearing stories about mine, stories like mine. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it lights a little fire. You know, and, and then even so, if you have big mitigating factors, I think there are small, small, hopeful adventures and things you can do for yourself that you can set on the horizon and start moving towards and set your intention to do this or that. Take this one week trip to this that will bring sanity back into your life because there's some people get so caught up in taking care of others and they don't prioritize themselves. And I think a person who does not 
prioritize their own sanity isn't a service to anyone else or themselves. I totally, totally agree. So what are the ways that you do that? What are your self-care techniques and things that you do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? I, I do prioritize exercise. I just have, because I'm so heady and always, I'm such a thinker. I always like want to make sure that my body, I don't even know, gets the energy out. There's another language in that, that I need to express and I sleep better, all these things. I just, you know, you feel better when you have energy and your body has been treated well. What kind of exercise do you like? I just work out and run stairs. I don't know. I really wish I would like to do yoga and all these like more holistic experiences, but yoga is expensive. I don't know. I like one day I'm going to get there, but right now I just go to some like crappy gym and that's easy. Yeah. And it works. It's great. I also am very intentional about giving myself quiet mornings. So my favorite thing is waking up early, getting a nice coffee maybe sitting in the window of a coffee shop alone and reading. And so nice. And I do that almost every morning. You do? Yes. Oh my God. That's like my dream morning. And it's because I'm a writer. Like right. what else do I have to no, do? I know. And, and then like, I'll generally read for an hour, hour and a half and then start writing or whatever it is, depending. But I just like to get my brain flowing. I love so yeah. nice. It feels what really good. What coffee shops do you go to? I really bounce. Around. I live on the east side of Los Angeles in Silver Lake, so I bounce around. There's a there's a new one called Trinity that I've really liked sitting in. Cool. Because I also will end up sitting at a coffee shop all day, and right. so I need the place to have food. I can't right. just eat like three croissants. Exactly. So I go to places where they have eggs and, exactly. and you know, transition to sandwiches. I'll, I mean, I will be in one location for from nine in the morning until five o'clock as if I like yeah, work there. Right. And they get really used to me. <laughs> That's so nice. Silver Lake is awesome for that. I know. There's I a lot of options. venture out that way more often. It's really cute. And you used to live right down the street from here, which is oh, so yeah. crazy. Which, I mean, so I lived in Brentwood for two years while I was going to law school. And I loved the drive down San Vicente, then on to 7th West Channel and zip down to PCH. Like, it was about exactly 18 minutes to Pepperdine with no traffic, which was like, I could listen to a bit of a podcast or I could call my mom or my friend. And it was the perfect little commute through beauty. And now I don't have a commute ever right. because I just drive to a close coffee shop. And so I, it's funny. The grass is always greener. Like I kind of miss having a little commute. I know it's nice. That drive in it's particular really special, is yeah. my favorite drive. I try to do it as often as possible. Just go down to Malibu and be by the ocean. It's so oh, nice. I know. So you go to a coffee shop almost every day. And mm-hmm. what is your writing process like? Well, it depends. So if I'm writing for Instagram, it is just whatever I learned generally. So I only post when I have a new idea or when I've learned something. Which is why you're such an awesome person to follow because <laughs> there's none of that like fluff. In yeah. Between. And I'm it's- not trying to like, I'm not looking at an algorithm to see, oh, you get the most likes at this hour. Exactly. Like, I don't give one shit about that. It's just I just, authentic. Yeah. I just want to express what I'm learning and share it you know, I'm so excited to learn something new or see the world in a new way or have a friend blow my mind with some new tidbit of wisdom. 
And I want to share that. And I can't believe there's 200,000 people who want to see it too. Um, but it doesn't surprise me because I'm like, well, hell yeah, I wanted to see it. So there's probably other people out there exactly. like me. And it's just, I write. So that those come when they come like a storm. And I just sit there and type it out on my phone. Sometimes I'll email it to myself. Boom. And then it's done. When I'm working on the book or a longer essay, you know, I sit at the coffee shop and I try to like create a rough outline. The nice thing about writing to shake the sleeping self was that it was a physical journey. So, you know, after California comes Mexico, after Mexico, you know, there, the countries there's, you can't jump around. I can't imagine writing a memoir about your whole life. Where do you even start? You know? Exactly. And as I was writing, things would just come to me. It'd be like, as I was in Mexico, I thought, this is where I feel like I want to talk about my childhood. You know, I could just feel like as you write one thing and you put a building block on there, you step back and you're like, I feel like this would come next. There's something in your spirit that just kind of knows what it wants to see next. Yeah. And so I just kind of followed that all the way down. That's amazing. And I mean, the best advice, you know, I got from about writing was... It's like, you. how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, you just go every little bit until you look back and you're like, whoa, I wrote 80 pages this month. What the? And you didn't notice you were doing it because you were writing a page a day and or some days you'd write a paragraph and the next day you'd write four pages. You don't even know where they came from. Do, 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 do. And then it's about the slow and steady work. Exactly. And, and writing the next best thing that your brain is excited about. And sometimes I would get so bored writing about a thing, but I was excited to tell the story of Machu Picchu or something down the road. So I would be like, well, while I'm excited about it, I might as well write. And I would jump mm-hmm. and then fill in the dots. That makes sense. So are you working on another book? So my right now it is almost Thanksgiving and I'm supposed to pitch in January a new book. So I'm really thinking about it. I'm not sure what it'll be. I do at some point want to put out just a cute coffee table book or whatever of the last f- four or five years of Instagram captions, because there's just so many, like, sometimes you want to sit down and just open a book and read something that makes you think, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need a whole story, just a nice thought for the day. And I have f- five years of content of right. me thinking out loud that people have liked. So and it'd be nice to have a physical version of that. That's such a good idea. So that that's one idea. I also just would like to do a book of general essays. I would love to do a book about how much I love California from the nature to the interesting culture of Los Angeles and San Francisco. I, I also have this idea of writing a book of a series of letters. So the the book that made me love reading and writing is a C.S. Lewis book called Screwtape Letters. And it's a series of letters from an elder demon to a younger demon. Okay. Sounds Mm -hmm. crazy, but it's so brilliant. And I'm like, how fun would it be to write a series of letters from me to myself at age 10, 16, 21, you know, a series of letters to your younger self. I don't know. It'd be like if I could hang out with him and be his mentor. Yeah. You know, so that's another idea. I don't know. Spill I love, the beans. love all these ideas. <laughs> and I love that you'll say what they are. Yeah. You I know? don't care. Yeah. Steal my idea. 
Right. The more, nobody, the better. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can do it like you. No yeah, one's going to do everyone's. I, I have no fear of theft. I'm like, everyone is so unique. Like, if you want to do the same thing as me, do it. It won't be the same. Right. It won't be the same. No. That's so true. So a really cool moment for you is when Cheryl Strayed wrote the um blurb. what's it called blurb for your book which is going to be on the next yeah. iteration yeah um, they're printing the new covers now so tell us just because we only have a few minutes i know but a little bit about like asking her and working up the courage and do horror you, do you feel that you manifested it because i so believe in manifesting me and, too yes no i did not manifest it i <laughs> terrifyingly wrote her an email so what it is, is I'm such a fan of hers. And I met her at a documentary film festival in Telluride. And she was just more than you could dream. Her authenticity is, is uncorruptible. It is as sturdy as granite. She just is who she is and knows who she is and just walks with such grace and wisdom. And I met her and and we had a nice connection. And then I met her again at a conference a few months later. So that kind of felt like we were meant to be friends. And But still, I was intimidated a little bit. And, and also, I have imposter syndrome. I'm new to the writing world. So I was like, how dare I bore you with my hobby while you're like a true life-changing writer? And she sits down next to me and she's like, so tell me about your book. You know, and I'm telling her, oh, well, I've been trying to sell it and nobody wants it. And so I think I'm going to self-publish. And, and it, you know, and she was like, well, um, would you like me to encourage what you're already doing or tell you my advice? You know, which is just so her. And I was like, I definitely want your advice. She goes, I think you should self-publish. I think if no one's buying it, it's not good enough yet. You need to keep working on it. She goes, you are a creative and a writer. You're not a marketing person. You're not an editor. You're not a copy editor. You're not a printer. You're not a publicist. All these things. And you have no relationships with bookstores. You are a writer. You should focus on writing and keep focusing on it until your writing is so good that a publisher wants to publish it. And I was like, that's really hard to hear because I was like just about to self-publish because I just wanted to get this thing over with, which also, by the way, self-publishing is amazing. And some people have had great success. And also sometimes you just need to get something out. You know, it might not be meant for the mass market. It might be meant for you to just do and write it for your grandkids, whatever it is. But she was just so straight to the point and so encouraging. And so then I wrote it, then I sold or I edited it, worked on it. Then I sold it to Penguin Random House, this amazing imprint called Convergent. And I was just so grateful in writing her thank you. And she was so proud of me. So then I asked her like, oh, and I listened to a lot of podcasts she's on. And I had heard her say in a podcast, I have written 10,000 book blurbs. I'm, I'm, I have a blanket no. I'm just not doing anymore because it's too much. Everyone right. asks me every day. And she's so integrated into the literary community that every human that's ever met her asks her to write a blurb. So that means she's got to read the book. Oh my God. I I mean, I totally can imagine that I'm going to say no forever. Um, So I write her this email horrified that I'm going to be so annoying. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know her well enough to be annoying. Right. And, but I'm just like, I have to. And I got advice from my friends. They were just like, she is 
a professional at giving advice and she's, you're not going to be annoying. She'll just say no. She's Mm -hmm. so, you know this about her. She's so strong. She'll say no. The end. No Mm -hmm. is a complete sentence. And I, the subject of the email was a blanket no. (laughs) And I just said, listen, I get it. I know. You don't have to say yes. I just want you to know that you're the reason I got published. You know, like you changed my life and I'm so grateful and I'm sending you a copy of my book. And if you felt compelled to write something, I would be moved beyond words. But please know that I know that you don't do this anymore. So feel total freedom. No response for six weeks. Oh my God, I thought she hated me. I thought I was so annoying. And I'd given up. I was just like, I'm like, great. I'm going to have to see her at this film festival next May. And I'm just going to like be so awkward because she clearly thinks I'm some sort of like desperate loser. Mm -hmm. And then six weeks later, she writes back the subject of the title or the subject of the email is a blanket. Yes. And she says, I have just started reading your book. I'm in love with it. It's so amazing. You're so honest. I can't wait to write you a blurb. Let me finish it. I'll do it in a week. And then she wrote me like the sweetest message, a blurb you've ever read. And for like a first time writer, first time author to have that just like encouragement and endorsement, face melting. Oh my God. Yeah. That is next level. I mean, you asked her in the perfect way because (laughs) you gave so much respect to Mm -hmm. the fact that she doesn't really do that anymore. But that's such a testament to your writing and how much she believes in you. So cool. Thank you. I love that story so much. And on that note, because you have to go in a second, um, I have really quick questions for you at the end that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. If you were a color, what color do you feel best represents your energy? (sighs) Green. Mm. It's alive. It's spring. It's evergreen. I don't know. It's nature. It's me. Yeah, it is. Sometimes I might be yellow, but I'm green. Yeah, I could see. I could see both. do you know your sun and rising and moon signs? Um, I know I'm a Sagittarius. So your birthday is coming up. Yes. I was born December 19th at 9.52 p.m. in Tennessee. So, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. So if anybody wants to look it up, I think it's my whatever the uh, my moon sign or whatever is Aquarius, uh-huh. I believe. And I just remember looking online and reading my sun and moon sign together and it was the most accurate description of me I've ever read. So like, oh I don't gosh. even know what I believe about all that, but I read that and I said, I'm changed. It's That stuff is so accurate. I'm so into it. So it's profound. I'm really happy that you know what time you were born because <laughs> I can look it up and yeah, I can tell you tell and then I can tell you what your human design is, which is <gasps> Ew, what's something, that? So something else that I'm so into. It's like a whole other system for just... Human understanding design. ourselves and how we approach the world. It's an energy type. So, oh my God, yeah, please tell I'll, me that. I'll look it up today. Okay. I'm so excited. And then finally, what would be your tip for people who are looking to set their souls on fire? Oh, I love this question. I would say plan an adventure, even if it's three years from now. Set it on the calendar and tell people. Because even if you're caught in the humdrum, even if you're miserable at work, even if your kids are driving you crazy, if you give yourself runway, if you give yourself two years to plan something and you tell everyone you're doing it, 
you'll prioritize it. And prioritizing those life-changing physical embodiments of discovery where you take yourself out of your comfort zone and routine and you step into the unknown, even for 10 days, it does something to your brain. And it also does something to the lead up for the year, the two years, the six months while you're waiting for it. Every day you're at work, whatever, you're going to be like, you know what? I'm getting out of here in a while. You know, like there's something coming that's so exciting. And so it changes your present potential misery, you know, where like misery really comes where you think, is this me forever? Am I stuck here forever? So if you set an adventure on the horizon, it changes not only the time you're on that adventure, but every day before it. So I really encourage people to do that. That is such a good tip. I know that's what you did. And Mm. I haven't heard that very often to plan so far in advance, but it's such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So tell everyone where they can find you, your book, your Instagram, et cetera. Oh, oh, I hope you do come find me if you want. Um, So (laughs) my book is called To Shake the Sleeping Self. You can find it at most bookstores and online. Um, And then my Instagram is just my name, Jedediah Jenkins. Starts with Jedi. (laughs) And yeah, please follow me and let me know what you think. Yes, you guys absolutely need to read his book, follow him. He's amazing, everything he does. And this was so fun. It was so fun. Thank you for welcoming me to your home. Yes, thank you for being my last interview for a while. Well, enjoy your respite. And I can't wait to find out what it teaches you. I know. I can't wait either. It's going to be, it's going to be good. Mm. Yay. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode with Jed. Um, I feel like I don't even have to thank you for listening because this was a privilege for all of us to listen to. Jed is an absolute game changer. He's so authentic. He's everything I hoped he would be and more. You know, when you follow someone for a long time and you read their books and you admire their work and you just hope that they are as wonderfully dear in person as you imagine them to be. Well, Jed truly exceeded my hopes and dreams of how authentically wonderful and warm and just, I don't know, open and good vibey he is. He has the best vibes and he lifted my spirits and now he's making me feel like I don't even want to take a break from podcasting because this is such a privilege and an honor to get to talk to people like Jed, who I admire so much and I know that I uh, am really going to benefit from my break and it's going to be hard for me, but I'm going to come back more in alignment with who I am and in many ways, more like people who I really admire, people like Jed, who know exactly who they are. They show up to the world with the most radiant authenticity and presence and with the sickness and low energy that I've had, I don't feel I've been able to do that consistently. So we'll get into that in next week's solo episode. It is a new episode. Um, It's not 
Yeah, it's not going to be my break yet. It's a solo episode telling you all about why I'm taking a break and it's going to be fun. So don't worry about the break. I'm not leaving you guys high and dry. I'm actually leaving you with tons of newness. It's just going to be a little different. So you'll see. Anyway, back to Jed. I'm so glad he was here. This was so cool. You can truly bring anything to life, you guys, if you have any sort of idol that you want to meet um, or someone who you look up to or a writer who you just admire or someone who you think you just would be really good friends with, you can always reach out and make it happen. And like Jed said, the worst you can hear is no. And it's not going to ruin your life. You're just going to be proud of yourself for trying. And this one worked out. I'm glad he was here. Um, I can't wait to hang out with him again. He's so cool. So cool. I'm just over the moon to have had this conversation with him. Um, He signed my book when he was leaving. And I just feel like such a fun fan, such an excited person. Um, Anyways, thank you, Jed. Thank you to our sponsors, Four Sigmatic and Hum Nutrition. You can use the code BLONDE at Four Sigmatic for a discount. And you can use the code SOUL, S-O-U-L, at Hum Nutrition for a discount. And... Um, join the Soul on Fire podcast tribe on Facebook. Come hang out. Uh, join the Chronic Illness High Vibe tribe on Facebook if you um, struggle with any sort of illness or love someone who's sick and come hang out with us. Um, subscribe to my blog because during my break, I'm actually going to be blogging. That's going to be like the one place where you can find me. I don't know how often or anything like that, but we're going to put the link to subscribe to my blog in the show notes so that you can make it really easy. And if you're like worried because you listen to my podcast every week and what's going to happen when I'm gone and all this, um, this is how I feel about podcasts that I'm obsessed with. Um, then it'll be fun to connect on my blog. So love you guys. Definitely support Jed. To Shake the Sleeping Self is a life-changing book. He's amazing. I can't wait to read all of his next books and support him. So I love you all. Thanks for being here. Have a soul on fire day and do yourself a favor and rewind to what Jed said about setting your soul on fire because it's epic and I'm so glad it's recorded. Love you guys. Mwah.